everything I want to be I am living out my destiny I am, I am, I am The embodied woman We took everything we loved We turned ashes into gold Freed ourselves from everything that Kept us from being, from being, from being, from being, the embodied woman. Welcome. Feel seen, heard, validated, supported, and inspired through the conversations on the Embodied Woman podcast. Empowered dance expert and spiritual coach Amber Sousa and me, Siri Baruch Thornton, Mountain Breathwork Reiki Master of Masters, will hold space for the deepest expansion, expression, and empowerment as a woman trusting her own authority with these conversations with other empowered women. Our guests will have the opportunity to share themselves authentically in a safe space. Amber and I so look forward to supporting conversations and meeting our guests where they're at within their journey. So let's dive in. Amber, Susa, and I, Siri Baruch Thornton, have been talking to you about the Embodied Woman Sisterhood. It's a membership that we're so passionate about creating this container because of how beautifully it has served us to be in groups like this. It's actually how Amber and I met in a group where women were coming together and doing the work on themselves and supporting and loving and encouraging each other. And so this is what we've created for you, bringing our unique gifts of dance and breathwork and meditation, Akashic wisdom and coaching to the Embodied Woman Sisterhood. So you can join that. There's a link in the show notes. And you know what else we're incredibly passionate about is we're working one-on-one with women as mentors, guides, coaches, and facilitators for them. If you're interested in learning more, you can contact us, Siri at sageandblushwellness.com or Amber at allami.com. That's A-L-L-O-M-I.com. Also in the show notes. We both have an abundance of life experiences and wisdom gained from having walked through the fire. Some really challenging times in life and coming to the other side. So we love supporting women. So passionate about it. Whether you're looking to be in a community or you're looking for more one-on-one support, we're here for it. We love you and we know that you are here to be the woman that you were born to be and we want to support you in doing so. Amber, I love the earrings. Thank you. I almost didn't put them on, but I keep thinking about Lori B. Yes. We loved Lori. I'm really excited because today we are talking to Tori. Tori is fascinating. She brings together the woo that we love, all the woo, and the business, practical, abundant mindset, success aspects of life. She's the embodiment of these two worlds, if you will, yin and yang or logic brain and creative brain. Yeah. She's got that embodied balance of these two worlds. Her story is really fascinating. I don't want to tell her story for her. I think I'll just go ahead and read her bio and then she'll pop on as I'm reading it and we'll just see what, what happens. Tori Janae is an international success coach and energy therapist. I just think that's so fascinating. She helps people become powerful creators of their life by aligning with their soul's purpose to unlock abundance and so much more. She effortlessly blends Western psychology, 
Eastern wisdom and energy work to help her clients get big results. One thing she said to me was her business partner is God. So I love that. Oh, here she is. I'm in the middle of reading her bio. Tori holds a bachelor's and a master's degree in psychology as well as a secondary master's degree specialization in transformational coaching. Isn't she gorgeous? She's also a 500 hour certified yoga and meditation teacher and trained in energy psychology, which is an energy modality that facilitates the healing of emotions, beliefs, and difficult experiences. Yet her greatest wisdom comes from growing up in a family riddled with addiction and struggles most will never face. She's learned so much about resiliency, compassion, and what it takes to make it through anything. She now lives in Los Angeles, California, and here she is. Nice to meet you. Hi, nice to meet you. Look at your Christmas. I love it in the background. Thank you. Yes, it makes me feel happy. Yes, for sure. That part in your bio that talks about you going through things that most people will never experience. My heart just is like, oh my gosh. To see who you are now and to see what you're creating. It's very I can't inspiring. Wait to hear. It's incredibly inspiring. I'd love to hear what that part of your bio is. Take us is. back to the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I love to share this just really because I think we don't talk about our story of origin enough. Statistically, a lot of people go through a lot of things that we don't know about. So I want to make Mm -hmm. it safe for people to talk about these things. And we learn through story. So my story begins, my mother struggled with addiction and she had a lot of trauma, but I was actually conceived in a drug rehab facility. My mom went out, met my dad. She didn't tell him she was in rehab, but that's where it started. She was actually in rehab for heroin addiction. Mm -hmm. So she had pretty severe addictions. Unfortunately, that was not her last bout with drugs. Luckily, she did get off that particular one. But through her struggles with alcohol and drug addiction, she and my dad never worked out. It, he left, I think when I was six months old. So I didn't meet him again until I was 15. We were on welfare or depending on where people are listening, that's like counselor state children, people in the UK. So we had a lot of struggles. Kindergarten or age five through high school, we moved almost every year, K through grade six. I went to seven schools. We were only once, luckily, very close to homelessness. Like we lived in a motel for a short period of time, but there was multiple marriages and a lot of drama and trauma and like attracts like. So she'd typically end up with another addict. My biological father also struggles with um, alcoholism. He was in the Vietnam War. And when I met him later in life, he's got severe alcoholism. My older brother on my dad's side also has drug addiction. I have an older sister. She ended up following the same path as my mother. She made it to about 39 and she she passed from drugs. I'm the oldest living person in my immediate family. Everyone else has passed away. Within the last 10 years, not only from the, the trauma of growing up in that way, a lot of difficulty, a lot of pain, moving out at 17. I think I had three, three stepdads. Some were good, some were not. But there's a lot of moving, a lot of drama. I barely made it through high school. I was smart and I put myself into another program, an alternative school that helped me at least keep going. Mm -hmm. I had to work, but I left Mm -hmm. at 17. My little brother was living with his paternal grandmother at that time. And she was a lovely, lovely, amazing woman. And I wanted to also help support him. So I went into full-time work and I put school on the back burner and did the best that I could. About 19, I started to go to university because I knew that 
no one in my family, like my mom, she didn't graduate high school, let alone college. I just class by class put myself through undergrad and I paid for it all with cash because I didn't even know how to take out a loan. I didn't know anything about money. A lot of people talk about businesses and how they bootstrapped it because they didn't know. When I went to apply for loans, that terrified me. No one had ever taught me about loans or paying things back. I'd never seen my stepdad's never even had a bank account. So I'd mm-hmm. never seen stuff like that. I'd come from such a place of poverty and struggle that terrified me. So I just went to work hard. I worked in daycares. I did makeup, you name it. I did whatever I needed to do. Mm-hmm. Finally, when I was about 19, I started working in an office. I got into HR. I slid into that. And then I started slowly but surely putting myself through school. Eventually found a partner. We got married and that was good for a long time. But in the last 10 years, uh, my sister passed, my grandmother passed, my mom passed, my dad passed. My brother almost died. He got very ill in 2017. So he almost died. It would be easier to tell you the traumas I haven't experienced in life than the ones that Mm -hmm. I have. These are just very high level things. I always joke that hopefully I don't have to go through a plane crash. I have all of these amazing degrees and trainings. I've been working on myself for 25 years, but my greatest experience is really my lived experience and having to pull myself out of some of the darkest places that life offers and grief. And I've had to make radical decisions in my life, looking at my parents and saying, okay, drugs and alcohol are really a problem for us. And so at 21, I made the choice to never, ever drink again. And I sit in front of you as a 45-year-old woman who hasn't had a drink in 22 years. And for me, that was just Russian roulette, but it's changing Mm. our family story of origin is possible and that we are capable of so much more. The human spirit is so amazing. I want people to remember that no matter what they've been through, there is a way out. You can heal. You can make new choices. I know it's hard as hell. That's not all of our soul path. Like my sister didn't make it out, but that's okay. That was her path and everyone has their own. I truly love to share that it is really possible for people, no matter what's happened. And we hear traumatic things, you know, someone's had it even worse than me. I know that for sure. But that is the high level of my story to not take it for two hours on your podcast. That's incredible. The thing that was going through my mind when you were talking, picturing you, this young girl surrounded by the chaos and the dysfunction and the toxic relationships and abuse, what do you attribute your will, your drive that helped you find the path that you're on? Because there are so many children who had experiences of being in abuse or in the type of environment that weren't able to. Do you think it's because this is your soul path or what do you attribute that to? Yeah. On a deeper level, now that I'm an adult, I definitely see it was my soul path. I think there's two primary things I had that a lot of people don't give themselves credit for. Mm. One, I was really angry. Mm. Okay. When I was young, I was really angry that all this was happening. And I I channeled that anger into action. Mm. Ooh, that's good. Okay. Yeah. The more I've learned about vibrational rates and psychological things like anger. Some people are like, oh, I don't want to be angry. They're afraid of it. No. Anger is the flip side of sadness and pain. And sometimes we need anger to say this is enough and I'm not going to deal with this anymore. Mm. That was number one. As someone who's trained in psychology, what was the it factor for me who experienced neglect and abuse at times and all these things to say that I made a different choice. And it was really like, okay, I'm mad. I'm angry. I don't want to live this life. I don't want to be here. This is so awful. I use that to think about how can I get out instead of giving up and following in the footsteps? Because it would have been easier not feeling that pain, not feeling that anger, checking out with addiction. That would have been a very easy option for me. Drugs would not have been a hard path for me. There was 
weed and stuff around me at five years old. I remember picking the seeds out of the weed for my parents. You know what I mean? Like weird, like uh, crazy things, right? It wouldn't have been unheard of for me to be 10 and take some for myself, but I decided Mm -hmm. not to. The other thing was my little brother, my younger brother was born when I was about eight and I just fell in love with the kid the minute I saw him and I never wanted bad things to happen to him. Mm -hmm. So it was also that drive of protecting him and making sure that he was going to be okay. And to this day, we're still incredibly close. We live 15 minutes from each other. We talk every day. He, thank God, also is a happy, healthy adult man. Amazing. I'm glad I brought my tissue box today. (laughs) Holy, I'm already, you are, you are just absolutely amazing. It's so powerful. Tons of people are like, well, you know, I'm destined to go down this path because this is what I come from. And you, at a very young age, something inside of you was like, that is not my path. I love that you said that about anger, especially as women. I think many of us are like, ooh, it's taboo. We're not supposed to be angry, right? But it's like, fuck, no, there's some shit to be angry about, right? (laughs) Clearly you had some shit to be angry about, but you intuitively knew that you needed to channel that for the greater good. And zoomed out, clearly your soul is here for something much more important. Yeah, Uh, I remember my brother's grandma, who I loved very much. I remember it was about 14 and she just like, you have the biggest chip on your shoulder. You're so angry. And I thought like, yeah, I am. (laughs) (laughs) Of course I'm angry that all this crazy stuff is happening to me. Sometimes when we're in a situation that we don't like, we want to repress our anger. Your anger is there because it's trying to tell you this isn't okay. It's not aligned. It's not working. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to use that anger to get you out of this position. And then when you're in a little bit better of a status, then you can make a new choice. Now that I'm much older and I've studied all these things for so long, choice creates another level of karma. Every small choice I made when I was little, following my intuition, and I used to just think I was really street smart. I grew up in rough neighborhoods. I was street smart. It was part of me. And we don't listen to that part enough. I joke like I was raised by wolves. I had no one telling me about logic. When you're in survival mode, one thing that we do have is you're only listening to your instincts. Mm-hmm. And so my instincts were, I have to get out of here. I've, I've just got to survive this. I've just got to get through this. And one day I can get out of here. I think that's what kept me going. Instincts can also be called wolf instincts and tapping women <laughs> into their wolf instinct is actually a whole job. Getting them in touch with that instinct and that anger and that primal energy. I lead mountain breathwork infused with Reiki classes. A lot of what we do is tapping into that primal energy, doing primal sounding, primal screaming. One of the classes that I teach is using anger as a tool. Beautiful. And it sounds like you really used your anger as a tool. I, I agree. Our last interview, we talked about anger too. She said she felt her most embodied when she was letting out her rage. It's something that like rewilding we hear about. It's something that is so important that we get back to that instinct of, I don't fucking like this. And I'm going to, because that energy, like you said, like that is a change. That is energy that you can harness if you use it, if you bring it to the right place. Absolutely. It's third chakra. It's personal power, right? It's will. It's your free will. Just to give the psychological perspective to help women connect to why it's so important. Women who repress their anger, they're much more likely to have autoimmune disease and fibromyalgia. Of course. That makes sense. Yeah. Dr. Gabor Matei has said this a lot. Yeah. And he talks about that repressed anger always leads to some kind of physical dis-ease. So letting that out is not only good for your mind, your body, but your actual physical health will suffer. 
Yeah. But it seems like the people around you were taking their anger out on themselves in one sense with their frustration with life. But you seem to use that direction and that anger to not take it out on yourself, but to move forward with it, to use it as that impetus to that's make your life better. Totally. And that is the purpose of anger. I'm studying Vedic astrology right now. We talk about the planets as energies and entities and Mars can be angry, but he's the protector and the defender. So he speaks to you through anger. He speaks to you through that way. And that's what we all need a strong Mars because we need to say no to things. We need to live in alignment with our truth. He's a Dharma planet, which means truth. I also have Mars in the first house. So that probably gave me a good fire in me. <laughs> so. Yes. Yes, you do. Yeah. Yes, you do. <laughs> my experience came through my body and I had severe and debilitating low back pain was the, the catalyst for me. Dr. John Sarno wrote the book, Healing Back Pain, The Mind-Body Connection. And he talks about repressed anxiety and anger. At the time, I was like, I'm not angry. Totally. I'm like, right? And then I was like, wait a minute. Yes, I am. <laughs> so yeah. I love that. I love that. You are dating. Oh my God. Wow. What a bright light. What an incredible story you have. Did your mom ever get a chance to see who you are and who you've become and get to see how empowered and embodied you are? She passed about 10 years ago. Before she passed, I got through undergrad and graduate school. She knew that I was going down this path. When my sister had overdosed, my mom overdosed about six months later. And luckily she survived that through her overdose that got her put into the system in the state of Washington. They put her into assisted living care. She was young, but they did that because she needed to rehab. They managed her much better. I did get that opportunity about an, a year and a half before she passed to see her. There was time where we were estranged from one another, a good seven year period where I could not speak with her. Her, the man she was with at the time were both using a lot of meth. She had gone to jail. I'm the first woman in my immediate family to not go to jail. My mom and my sister had both done time. My mom had done time in California and Washington. There was times where I needed that break from her. And I definitely share that with people because I want them to know that that's okay. If you have a toxic mm -hmm. parent, you might need to take time for yourself. But toward the end, she did know that I was going down this path. I had a conversation with her that I wanted to share our story and the things that had happened. She did give me permission. She said that she wanted to know that her life mattered. I feel like that was the positive of it. Everything that she went through, she had a horrific life as well. My grandmother, my maternal grandmother was addicted to pills and alcohol. She had lost her life through that. My mom became an orphan when she was like 15 years old. Hmm. That, that cycle of trauma for most of us in our families, mine is the extreme form, but I've been working with clients for over 12 years now. And I, I believe we all have some form of trauma. It looks different for all of us. Yes. Mine is more of the capital T extreme trauma, but that mm -hmm. was what I was here to experience. And other people don't even understand their traumas. They don't even understand the things they've been through and how it's blocking esteem or belief or money or everything in our lives, we really have to start looking at our history and how it's creating our future. Tori, I know you have so much expertise in the spiritual end of things, as well as the business end of things. You really are the embodiment of marrying these two worlds. I'm fascinated about both of those worlds. <laughs> I, I almost feel like we need to have two episodes with you. We had a conversation with Sarah Kranz and she asked her mother about her mom's experiences with hands of God moments. You have so many people in your soul family that are on the other side. I would just be so fascinated to hear anything that you would feel like sharing about the other side. Yeah, I'm pretty intuitive. That's one of my 
strongest gifts. But what's interesting is I've gotten more information from the other side for other people than myself. Mm. And I do believe in realms. Some of my family members have gone to different realms than might be communicating with me. My sister is the one who drops in the most to say okay. hi. Uh-huh. So I can be listening to, I am a quarter Native American. So I get a lot of animal messages. Song is typically how she talks to me. Because when I was little, she was eight years older than me. She would take me out in the car. And it was when Guns and Roses was really popular. We would <laughs> play that tape over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll just be driving and all of a sudden I'll hear a specific song. And when I'm listening to a radio station that plays that kind of music, so it's so random. I always know it's her saying yes. hello. I get these small intuitive hits from knowing that they're just saying hello. But I really do believe in the eternity of the soul and that the body is just a shoe and one day it will drop away and we will go to the appropriate realm for learning. And then most of the time, I think we'll be back. I don't think this is my first rodeo. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That's the other thing I was noticing when you were first telling your story is I was thinking Tori took the graduate. She's in the program of souls. That's like, (laughs) I want that challenge. And you just were like, let me take the big one. The big um, one. Because you have an incredibly huge mission to help an incredibly large amount of people because you've so. been in every <laughs> aspect of these pain points that you can see, like Kathy Heller says, you can take the flashlight and see every corner of the cave. And yeah. you can be like, let me shine the light so you can see, because I've been here. I know this cave. Yes. In Vedic astrology, we have a similar belief. Or the, the Vedas talk about how some souls come in with an advanced plan and they want to burn out a lot of karmas. So they come in and the best wisdom is lived wisdom. There's so many great psychologists or therapists who read these things. When someone else has lost their mother or someone else has had a miscarriage, whatever pain, if you're Mm -hmm. sitting with someone who's had that experience, you just know that they get it at a different level. And so I think that is the one thing that I am most grateful for from all the difficulty is that I never feel shocked or uh, anything when clients can think. Yeah, like there's no judgment. Any trauma. Yeah, it's like I'm really like, yes, I understand that. Or I've, not, not that I know your experience, but I know what that's like to have to sit there or experience that or figure out how to get crawl out of that. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I definitely believe in the path of the soul. That was not intuitive to me, by the way. The universe and God and the angels, they all had to really hit me over the head pretty hard. I grew up in this difficult situation. So my little Tory self remembers thinking, there's no way there's a God. Mm-hmm. God cannot exist in this kind of world. Like mm-hmm. that, I remember telling people when I was a nine that God was like Santa Claus. Like I'd never seen it. Eventually <laughs> I'm going to find out it's not true. So I was atheist. I yeah. was very into astrology. I was very into the universe, the nature, those kinds of things. But when mm-hmm. it came to God, I was very unsure about that. And so it was really divine, intense moments that woke me up to that. And the first one, I was about 23 or 24. I was in Seattle driving to my job and I'm in my little compact car. All of a sudden I heard this male voice scream at me, Tori, get out of this lane, get Mm. out of this lane. It was two left-hand turn lanes and I'm here and I get over. I thought someone was screaming at me from the street. And then it dawned on me, they said my name, which was freaking weird. And then I hear crash, this huge SUV comes and hits the Jetta. Mm. and just annihilates it. It still gives me chills to think about it. By my own volition of being Mm. in undergrad, 
I'm a crazy person. Now I'm hearing voices. So there was a lot of these instances and I've had about four of them in my life where I know that my life was possibly in danger or something was going to happen that was not on my path. And that is when my guides actually yelled at me. It took a long time for me to really realize that that was a gift and that they were trying to guide me. But initially I was trying to brush it off and like something must be wrong with me. You know, do I need an MRI? It really freaked me out, but mm -hmm. it did save my life. There was another time when I was living in Japan. Um, you I were living in Japan? That's not on your bio. What? <laughs> we need to include this in your I'm bio. Crazy. I'm a crazy kid. So when I was about 19, I met a handsome sailor who was living in Bremerton. We met in Seattle. We were madly in love and he was getting stationed in Japan. And he's like, well, if we get married, he can go. And I was like, why not? So we just went down to the courthouse and we got married and I went to Japan with him. He was gone most of the time. So that didn't work out. He was a good we were 19 and 21 and I think we were married for 18 months and I think we saw each other for about 18 weeks. I was basically alone all the time because mm -hmm. he was gone. So I studied, that's where I learned about Buddhism. I started learning about Zazen Buddhism. I wasn't sure about God and religion, but Buddhism, I was like, this makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. so I really enjoyed that. And then there was a moment in Japan where I was on the street and their modeling height is much shorter than here. It's 5'3". Mm -hmm. I'm 5'3". So a lot of times people would come up to me on the street and be like, oh, would you do like pictures for us or you know, just like I'm, I was 19. So I was pretty, I was cute then. And like, you're still so cute. cute. Now. <laughs> but I mean, I was little, so there was, so I did some pictures. And so there was this other guy who said, Oh, we want you to do modeling. Will you come in here? And so I was walking with him and then I had a bad feeling mm. and this feeling, this voice, like get out of here. Mm -hmm. And I ran as fast as I could. The guy tried to grab my arm and I took off into the subway station. Mm -hmm. So I'm living in Tokyo. It's super busy. And I get on, I'd run it like, you know, like a movie, like I get into the train, the doors close right behind me and I sit down and all of a sudden right in front of me, this, this white guy. And you just don't see that a lot in Japan. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like usually like there's primarily Japanese people. And I'm like, he sees I'm vis visibly shaken. He goes, are you okay? And I was like, no, these guys tried to take me into a room and I got away. I told him the scenario, it looked like a club, blah, blah, blah. And he told me, I work for the U.S. Embassy. And that is how they get women to sex traffic. Them. Yes. Oh. Yes. There's these moments in my life where I had these, we're talking about that, like wilding, like re reconnecting mm -hmm. to your intuition. It will always save you. It will never like you. I've had so many of those moments in life where this voice or this feeling would just come over me. And if I didn't listen to that, I don't know if I would be here. Yes. I share that wow. to remind us, no matter what it is, even if it's dating this guy or I don't know about anything. And, you know, we all have to get hit over the head a million times. I still don't always listen to it, right? I moved recently into this place and I don't love it. It's too loud. I had a little anxiety when I was signing the lease. I should have listened to that. I thought it was because, oh, this is more than I wanted to pay or, you know what I mean? A part of me was like, oh, this is abundant. I'm getting, you know. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's a still small voice totally. and sometimes it's that louder, get out of the lane. You're going to get hit by a car voice. Yes. But if you're in your body, you're listening to your body, you're going to know what to do. Yeah. I always say your body will never lie to you. Your mind will always make up crazy shit. Yeah. That's been the theme that we've had recently on the show. Like in human design, your mind is going to tell you all kinds of things, but your body's really where you need to tune in. I'm, I'm picturing you, this young girl, and you're angry and you're like, if there is a God, like why the heck would this be my life? Like, and then your will, your strong will, your, maybe your Mars, you were like, I'm good. I'm determined. At what point did that shift for you where you were like, there's no God, I'm angry. 
to maybe there is a God and maybe all this stuff happened so that I could have this experience. There's two ways to go, right? I, I see this all the time. There are people that stay stuck in this happened to me and I'm angry about it. And they never experience the kind of freedom and joy and purpose that I believe that is possible. You are a living example of that. So when did that shift for you? And what do you think allowed that for you to happen? Were you like, oh, maybe yeah. this is the hands of God or, you know? Yeah, that's a good question. And no one's ever asked me that before. It was these little experiences that started to open my mind up to the possibility that there was something greater than me. Mm -hmm. When I was in grad school, I really started to dive into my traumas. I was very determined to be successful. But then it was much more about, I want to be happy. Because mm. the anger got me success. That propelled me into corporate. And I had done everything I was supposed to do. I had gotten married. I had the house. I had the car. I had the job. But why wasn't I happy? Mm -hmm. Yes. I felt like something was missing. The divine was missing from my life. I wasn't connected to my purpose, my truth, my dharma. So I went looking for that. Like, why am I not happy? And I just thought, oh, it's, it's because I'm in the wrong job. So then I went to grad school. But in that process, I had the universe God kicking me in the butt the whole way. I went to Sedona for a retreat. And I met three people in a row. All their name was Gabriel. Mm. I met a kid at a bar. Like, I don't even drink, but I was there to eat. This kid was waiting for his mom. And he's like, my name is, and they all said the same words. My name is Gabriel, like the angel. Wow. And I thought, what the hell? I'm 30 years old. I don't know anything about any of this stuff. And then same thing. My tour guide who takes me out on a Red Rock tour, his name's Gabriel, like the angel. I'm just like, this is weird. So finally I walk into like some woo-woo bookstore. I'm just like, do you guys have like an angel section? Is there someone named Gabriel? She looked at me like <laughs> I was so stupid. <laughs> yeah, the angel section is over there and there's plenty of books on Gabriel. And so I walk, <laughs> walk over and I find this book, Doreen Virtues, The Lightworker's Way. Yep. And I read that book mm -hmm. and that was like, holy crap, this is it. And then Doreen led me to You Can Heal Your Life by Louise Hay. Mm -hmm. yep. She talks about you choosing your parents. Louise Hay also had a very horrible childhood, lots of yeah. abuse and all that kind of stuff. That was really the moment that I started to open. I realized it was, I'd started yoga at 21. So I'd started to heal my body, my nervous system. I'd really done the mental work of the psychology through my degrees. And then that last piece was that spiritual piece. That was the moment it all grounded. There is some God. And like I said, God had to kick me in the pants multiple times and give me a lot of messages. My mind is very strong and stubborn. This is why Buddhism and the Vedas are good for me, because it's all about how to train your mind and beginner's mind and all those kinds of things. But that was the moment that it really started to gel. Like, no, this has happened for you, not mm -hmm. to you. And it's up to you to take your pain and turn it into your purpose. Yeah. Yeah, it's like oh, the, the path of victim to ownership. Yes. And we okay. all go down that. What is the yes. embodied woman to you, Tori? Because you've got so much wealth of wisdom. I believe it's living your truth and being comfortable within your skin and yourself. When my thoughts, my words, and my actions align, I know I'm congruent. I'm embodied. Perfect. I, I've met so many people. I live in LA, you know, where <laughs> they are one person online and they're another person on, offline. And that's a big metaphor for being so disembodied. It's like who you are should be the same everywhere across the board. If I show up in a boardroom, yes, maybe I might talk more about business. If I show up in 
a spiritual center, I might talk more about spirituality, but you're always going to get the same Tori and I'm always going to tell you the same things. Mm -hmm. That's a really, yeah, that's a really good explanation. I can so relate to that. There were periods of my life where there was a dissonance and it wasn't like I was intentionally or consciously showing up as different versions of myself. Mm -hmm. It's just that I felt a sense of fragmentation and I didn't totally understand what it felt like to be embodied and to be integrated. I think that's really good for someone who's asking themselves, am I embodied? Look at your life. Do you feel a sense of integration and resonance in how you show up in different places? Oh yeah. Especially for stepping into my spirituality, I was still in corporate world, corporate America. Mm-hmm. It was very funny because I felt like I had to be one person there. I joked that I was going to write a book called Coming Out of the Spiritual Closet. <laughs> but so much more accepted now, but in... 2010, it wasn't at this time when I was getting ready to leave my corporate job and all those kinds of things. It wasn't really like this spiritual influencer world that was still very strange and woo woo. And you wouldn't really be respected if you were talking about a lot of those things. It took me some time to really integrate the spirituality aspect of myself because it's very Mm -hmm. easy for me to lean into the business and the psychology side. That's people immediately respect that. I think that was the biggest part of my integration was allowing myself to be vulnerable about my story mm-hmm. and be really allowing people to know spirituality is one of the biggest tools that I used to heal. Who is your most life-changing mentor? God, probably the divine. <laughs> she really kicks my butt. <laughs> I don't know if I've met my teacher in physical form yet. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of respect for people like Dr. Gabor Mate and people like Paramahansa Yogananda. I've read a lot of his stuff. I really respect it. But I actually had a Vedic astrology teacher, a person read my chart one time and he said he didn't think any of my teachers were in this life. Interesting. And that actually resonated with me because I haven't had anyone yet who really, not to say I won't, maybe mm-hmm. they're going to come later in life. I've had some good gurus. I've had some good teachers, but no one's ever really been like, my Vedic old teacher has a guru in India and he followed her for 20 years and they have such a yeah. beautiful relationship. And I'm like, that is so cool, but it has not happened for me yet. I feel like you're your own hero. It sounds like. Yes. Yeah. I do believe in that. I do believe in we should all be our own guru because guru means giver of light. Mm. I need to give that. We all need to give ourselves permission to be the light that we are. That's typically what a guru does. I love the story about the three Gabriels. I love that so much. It's really important to mention that's happening all the time and we're just not noticing it or paying attention. When you mentioned Sedona, I was listening to a podcast earlier that was talking all about Sedona and I was like, Okay. <laughs> you gotta go. This is the second mention of Sedona. Okay. Right. So yeah, that's what makes life an adventure is listening for and paying attention to the signs like that. And then being willing to go down the path. If you I hear about a, I always have a rule for myself. If I hear about something three times, then it yep. is, a, it is a divine message. But when it comes to things like animals and things like that, I always look that up. And a lot of people are like, mm-hmm. Oh, it's so silly. The more I learned about my Native American ancestry and what tribe my father had come from, the more I got into this stuff. It's just so fascinating that people will think it's like a silly thing, like, oh, I saw a lizard. And then they'll say, well, Google the spiritual meaning of lizard yeah. and it'll be the exact message they need. Or I had a client, yeah. I saw a spider. Like, that's horrible. I'm like, no, a spider is so good. Oh, see? <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, dream I time. <laughs> Pay attention to your dreams and visions, lizard. I was in the car the other day with my mom and my dad and my kids. And I see angel numbers all the time. And my kids, they're like, mom, five, five, five. They're super <laughs> into it. And they know all the meanings. And we were talking about money. And my mom was talking about some financial worries that she's having. All of a sudden I look up and the car in front of us said 888, which is abundance, financial yeah. prosperity. And I was like, look, kids, it's angel 888. Mom, money. I could just feel the energy in the car. I, I don't think that they're totally opposed, but they're like, that's great, Amber. So money is just going to come now because we saw the numbers. And I'm like, I don't know. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel hopeful. It's a sign that my guides and my angels are like, we got you. We hear you. It's going to be okay. It's yeah. Be okay. And we all need that. I love that your kids are into it. That's fun. Yeah. Well, because you mentioned money, it made me think we haven't asked you, Tori, yet about money and abundance. So how do you help women with their abundance? Yes, I really help them connect. I believe in raising our self-worth. I think it affects our, self, our, our net worth. And it doesn't mean that we don't have self-worth. I just think that if we want to hold more abundance, we have to grow it. So mm -hmm. even if you have great self-worth now, sometimes we don't have great self-worth with money. I look at blocks and traumas, just as we have a relationship with other people, we have a relationship with money. All the things we heard about money are programmed into that subconscious mind and we are repeating it. But I also like to remind women that we are very new with money. Mm -hmm. In the United States, we could not have a bank account until the 1974. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Credit cards. I, the year I was born. <laughs> yeah, right? So it's like yeah. our mothers couldn't actually access a bank account. Yeah. So we are learning about this power that is money. Women are much better stewards with money, but we've been told we're not. That's right. There's thousands of years of, if we talk about generational trauma, we've got a lot of it as yes. you know, the witch wound, right? Yep. Which in Europe means wise one and witches of Europe were typically the women who did healing work and could make extra money. They were midwives, they were healers, they were herbalists, they made money. Mm -hmm. What did the church do to take that away from them? they burn them at the stake because yeah. they couldn't be controlled. Yeah. A woman who has money can, does not have to be in places or jobs or with people that she does not want to be. And so to me, that is the most important empowerment is giving women abundance. There's a lot of stuff we believe about money, about abundance, about it being bad. But unless you came from poverty, there's this saying that money is the root of all evil. It is not true. Mm -hmm. First of all, it's not even what Jesus said. Jesus said, love of only money is the root of all evil and people cut it off. Second of all, if you look at poverty, it is the most evil thing on the planet. It's poverty. what causes people to do bad things. Totally. You will kill someone if you need, you know what I mean? If you can't survive, you will lie, cheat and steal to survive. Mm -hmm. If we even look at the destruction of the planet, a lot of that is because people are trying to survive. They're killing elephants because they're trying to survive. They're trying to make money. The more money we can get into the hands of conscious, good women, that yes. will change the world. The World Bank, a lot of people don't even know this, they love to give loans, micro loans to women. Mm -hmm. Women will create jobs in small third world countries. Men will typically gamble it away. They're like, we can give a woman $1,000 and a herd of goats. She'll make milk. She'll, she'll get jobs. She'll feed her babies. She'll feed the babies next door. She will create a little empire and make sure that it's working. And so... Head tingles. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. Keep talking. The this is so cool. More. This is awesome. Yeah. The Dalai Lama said that the Western woman will change the world. And he That's truly what I was that. just going to say. Yep. Yeah. That is such a divine message. There's so many women 
who could do such amazing things if they had the resources to not only take care of their own family, their own children, to have that choice, but then to go out and have the resources to help others in the way that, that we will. Men have been running shit for a long time and they've mm -hmm. messed it up. It's time for us to come in and take over and not only create equality, but do more, do, do it right, do it well. Show that we're creating spaces that we, for us to be. Like, I'm so glad I, I worked for a great company, but I, I work with women who don't work for great companies and they're being burned out and they're being taken advantage of and they're making 80% of the pay of someone else. That's not okay. We don't have to stay in marriages that we're not happy in anymore just for money. Mm -hmm. We don't have to worry if our children are going to eat food because we can't stay. There's yes. just so much around it. The financial literacy that women have has not been leaned into in our culture. What I'm hearing is permission slip to lean into the literacy of finances because young girls are not developmentally in their brain as tendencies, their tendency is to not be as good at math in the beginning. And so then we start to think that that's not our area and boys are better at that and we'll just let the man do it. Yeah, I'm terrible at math, but I can add up money. As long as we understand how we make money, how we spend money, how we save and how we invest. The younger we can get them to understand that they're worth making a lot of money, they're worth keeping their money, that they don't have to spend it on everyone else. You spend it consciously and with awareness because I grew up with a lot of codependency. So even when I was making money, I was also giving it away to people who had a lot of problems. I remember being 17 years old and having to get someone's car out of tow because they were dr drinking and driving. There was me, 17 years old, paying $400 to get their car out of tow. As women, we've got to learn about those four things and all the math you need to know is how to how to add, subtract, and then learn compound interest. <laughs> like that is the most important. I wish someone would have taught that to me when I was 20. I really thought investing was something that you did when you had a lot of money and when you were older. And so I did it mm -hmm. way too late in the game. But I'm a little girl who came from nothing and through real estate and lots of other things. I've created abundance I never would have thought was possible. And I hope to become a multimillionaire on my own as a single woman. We need say, you. We need we you. Need what you just said, I should have done it sooner. I think it's really important to recognize the generations that raised us and the collective consciousness and collective energy. What you just said, it wasn't until 1974. I mean, mm -hmm. that's the year I was born. So who I was raised by and who they were raised by was the mindset that you're talking about and the consciousness that you're talking about and the understanding and the awareness is totally different. And so we've carried that. So it's really important to recognize that it takes some of the shame out of it. Like I'm oh, just not, sure. I'm not good with money or I'm it's like, no, it's just that I haven't ha given myself permission or ha had the opportunity because that was just the consciousness. My mom worked a little bit, but mostly my dad worked and her understanding or involvement in finances. That's not something we talked about. That's not something I learned as a young girl but oh gosh no I learned that either it's never too late it's never too late it never is no even if you're 65 and you're listening you can still take over but it's true obviously growing up in poverty the only examples of money I ever we had better times when my mom was married so basically all I saw mm -hmm. was either you're on welfare or a man is the best financial option you've got right because she would work jobs here and there she was a grocery checker at Fred Meyer which is the Washington store she did what she could at times, but our life was better, definitely, when she was married to someone who had a, a decent job. She was married to a plumber at one point. We're like, I thought we were 
so wealthy loaded <laughs> yeah I was like we could we have food and we have this hot like it was like oh my god <laughs> you know how much it costs to get a plumber to come over we're always like we can fix it ourselves I mean plumbers probably do okay <laughs> yeah yeah no I think he did all right that's what I work with women is what are your money blueprints what are your experiences yes. what were the models that you were given in psychology we call them love maps we have money maps of okay mm. men make the money women don't make it. and we don't realize how it seeps into our subconscious because even recently went through a separation. And I remember that had come up for me a little bit. It was like, oh, wait, am I going to be okay? Being married is safer financially. That's what I learned growing up. I had to work through that. That inner child was like, oh, no, girl, we're not going to be okay. You need to be married to be financially okay. Remember, this is what we experienced. Every time we didn't have a man, things were bad. Yes. So it was like that it's old- the patriarchy kind of wants you to feel that way. Yeah, yeah. I just wish if in college, I wish it was a required class. Yeah. Like, this is what compound interest would have been been very helpful. Yeah. I'm divorced. I have a nine and 11 year old. And I want to be a model for my children of a new story. I have such a deep desire to be a different story for them. I look back on my Nana. She worked. She was divorced from my grandfather. He remarried four times. But my experience of her even till the day she died, was that she worked for him. He owned a trailer park in Seal Beach and she worked for him. And then she lived in a house in a trailer that he paid for. She never fully got to experience her own possibility when it came to manifesting abundance financially in her own life. And that's a story that is throughout my lineage. I want to be the cycle breaker. I want to be the one that's like, Oh no, that's not how it goes anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Have your own home or pay for it on your own or whatever it is you want to create on your own. Yeah. That's an amazing thing to break. So Mm. we just want to know some tools that you are like, these are my top three that you go to top three that you go to when you feel disembodied. First and foremost is moving my body, getting in nature. Ideally, if I'm really off, if I can get to the ocean or walk my neighborhood, it helps so much to just feel into my legs, move my body, move the energy, look at trees. There's a lot of science behind this too. Yes. But I really believe that returning to the earth is the biggest thing. Ground yourself. If you've got a patch of grass, go fricking stand in it. Get some sun on your face if you can. I know I lived in Washington. I get that's not always an option. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) but getting outside if you can, or just moving your body. And um, I know some days you can't get up and do that. Meditation is huge for me. That was the most life-changing for me. When I think about what changed my reactions and my wounded self showing up so much, it was primarily meditation because I learned to catch myself in the gap between wanting to respond versus react to whatever stimulus was in front of me. But also meditating gets me recentered and reconnected to my truth and myself and not my fear, or my doubt, or all the normal things that come up every day still for me. Every time I'm trying to expand something, I go through the same fear doubt cycle that all of us do. <laughs> like, What's so your I, human design? I'm a generator. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Generator 2-4. And my whole head, all this is empty. Like from... Yeah, us okay. too. Yeah, completely... <laughs> everything's colored in at the bottom and everything at the top is completely open so yeah i think that's pretty common yeah the whole thing we were learning in human design you were just saying earlier is we're not supposed to be in our heads anyway 
our wisdom is all down here. It's all here. Like you were talking about yes. the wolf coming back full circle to that wolf instinct. <laughs> yes. Sacral. Yes. Yes. I'm sacral generated. The biggest one that saved me since I was a sixth grader is journaling. Ah, Ooh. Good. I write everything out and I just let it flow. If it's bad, because a lot of people, my clients will say that to me like, oh, what if I write bad stuff? Tear it out, rip it up. No one will ever find it. Mm. All of our negative thoughts, they swirl in us and we get stuck in them. I always say, don't think it, ink it. Just get it out of you. And there's something about the neuroscience of actually writing versus typing. It takes a lot more energy to write something physically. That's why it's so important to actually journal. Sometimes you can be your own therapist and you can write all this stuff down. You can read it back and be like, okay, no, or this is what I need to do. Recently going through my divorce, I blew through a journal a month. At one point I found my childhood journals. It was very unhappy. So I decided to burn those all. I went down to the beach and nice. and I put them in a thing. And I did a ritual. <laughs> like I transmute all of this energy. So I, I wanted to let all that go. You can write it. You can burn it. You can destroy it. You don't have to keep it. So many people are afraid to journal because they don't know what to do. And they're afraid someone might find it. So yes. a, just write whatever your crazy thoughts are. We all have the crazy lady who lives in the attic. She says crazy stuff. There's a different crazy lady in the basement. There's... <laughs> 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 I have been journaling since the beginning of awakening and I have a book coming out next month and oh, nice. there are a lot of journal entries in there. And Great. I'm like, Ooh, am I really going to share that? It's healing to hear other people's stories and recognize your own story in other people's as well. So that's my intention behind sharing mine and not burning all of it. But I think that's also a very good idea. <laughs> Oh, these were from like I was 12 years old. I yeah. definitely have some journals from recently. I also have a crazy memory. So sometimes it's not always serving of me because I can remember too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? I'll be like, you said this and that and you were sitting in this chair and you were writing a red shirt. And they're like, how do you remember that? I'm like, oh, <laughs> my little brother too. He doesn't always remember a lot of our childhood because he, he locked it out and I have vivid memories. So I'm like, oh, that must oh. be nice. Some of our brains protect us from it. And it's like, it's, yeah. kind of, it's blurry or it's fuzzy or it's not really there. That but is, it's in the subconscious though. So it's, it's still, there. yeah, it's still there. It's, it's, there. In, it's, there. Where? it's yeah. in there. Oh, Tori, you're so fun to talk to. I feel oh, like I we could pick your brain forever. I agree. You have so much wisdom. You blend Western, you have Eastern and Buddhism and God and angels. Finances. How do you work? What's your favorite offering that you're... I work primarily one-to-one and then I do small groups. Okay. I do help people get unblocked when it comes to purpose, their path, finances, and just really helping them figure that out. Like, what am I here to do? How do I heal the stuff that's holding me back so that I can live my purpose and I can create a prosperous life for myself? I love my groups like right now, they're primarily based in the UK. I just love them so much. They have transformed so much in 12 weeks. We overestimate what we can do in a year and we greatly underestimate what we can do in 10. And I think that's what you see now with me. I've been on this path for 25 years. That's you great. It, you're in LA? Yeah, I'm in Beverly Hills. Any closing words of guidance? What would you say to someone who's tr- wanting to be a more embodied woman? I would say that no matter what's happened, anything is possible. And I know it's hard to believe from where you are, but take small steps every day. Don't just swing for the fences. Think about what, what can I, what's one or two things I can do today to feel a little bit better. 
And when you start feeling better, you'll start making different decisions. And keeping small promises to yourself will help you take the next right step. That builds your confidence. It just starts with the meditation practice. It just starts with reaching out to someone or picking up that book. It's a thousand small steps that got me here. And it was just that persistence of taking us one step every day will get you there. I love that so much. I do too. I think that's brilliant advice. Every step matters and little baby steps. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, and all the kind thank words. you, Tori. Thank you. You are amazing. Oh my oh. God. I love you. Yes. Have a Thanks, beautiful Tori. rest of your day. Love you. you. Bye. you too. Bye. Wow. That was good. What a gift. Yeah. She was fascinating. I was intrigued by how many different places we could go with her. I know. Right? It's like you could really do 10 episodes with her. Yeah. I've always been so intrigued by you take two people who've had a similar upbringing and one ends up where Tori is now doing Mm -hmm. the work that she's doing. And then one ends up like her sister who didn't make it. I'm always so intrigued by that. And I don't think I have an answer. The only way that I can make sense of it is like what we talked about, how our souls come into this lifetime with a curriculum, with less certain lessons, and not everybody has the same path. But I'm sure that the women that she helps are divinely guided to her because she can very specifically help people who have had that kind of trauma. Yeah. And she can help her base people are all in the UK. How fascinating is that she's in los angeles and then she lived in japan i almost feel like she's like three people in one like three different souls in one body it it makes sense that she hasn't found a teacher because she's like a guru herself who's gonna tell her anything (laughs) she's like lived through it she likes to study like she goes in right so she's like masters well i was gonna say that too it was like well yeah but she like masters each thing that she feels called to yes i like how she doesn't pedestal people that's been a habit of mine which i'm breaking starting with my father Mm. pedestaling these teachers and she's like i'm my greatest teacher yeah we all could learn from that even with all of her academic endeavors yeah um, she still credits the wisdom gained through lived experiences that's right as as the most valuable she does so impressive because so many people think oh who am i to be of service in this way i don't have a degree or i don't have this or i don't have that even somebody who credits her lived and the wisdom that she's gained as something that's incredibly valuable. That's her, did she say that was her biggest teacher? Is her experience? She says that's her biggest, oh, the divine. Yeah, was her biggest teacher. All of her greatest teachers have been on the other side. Fascinating, fascinating. I'm just kind of in awe because you just never know. You don't know when you look at someone and you're like, what is your story? You have no idea what you're going to uh, get. She's somebody- she had so many similarities to Sarah Kranz. Mm-hmm. She even was like, go stand in the grass, right? And Sarah yeah. was like, goes in the grass. 
And every step matters. Every step. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. We hope you got a lot out of it the way we did. And we can't wait to have our next conversation with y'all. With y'all. We love you. Love you. Amber, Susa, and I, Siri Baruch Thornton, have been talking to you about the Embodied Woman Sisterhood. It's a membership that we're so passionate about creating this container because of how beautifully it has served us to be in groups like this. It's actually how Amber and I met in a group where women were coming together and doing the work on themselves and supporting and loving and encouraging each other. And so this is what we've created for you, bringing our unique gifts of dance and breathwork and meditation, Akashic wisdom and coaching to the Embodied Woman Sisterhood. So you can join that. There's a link in the show notes. And you know what else we're incredibly passionate about is we're working one-on-one with women as mentors, guides, coaches, and facilitators for them. If you're interested in learning more, you can contact us, Siri at sageandblushwellness.com or amber at allami.com. That's A-L-L-O-M-I.com. Also in the show notes, we both have an abundance of life experiences and wisdom gained from having walked through the fire. Some really challenging times in life and coming to the other side. So we love supporting women. So passionate about it. Whether you're looking to be in a community or you're looking for more one-on-one support, we're here for it. We love you and we know that you are here to be the woman that you were born to be and we want to support you in doing so. So way to go for getting through that podcast way to go for giving yourself the opportunity to listen in on all these little insights and to have the opportunity to connect with a beautiful guest that we had today and i'm so grateful thank you so much for listening thank you so much for your time i really value the ability to be able to share this time with you i so look forward to connecting with you further and if you're interested in having your own mountain breath work infused with reiki experience you can also reach out Siri at sageandblushwellness.com or you can just go onto sageandblushwellness.com website and get your first class free. You just type in first class free when you go to purchase the class. If this brought you value, please share with a loved one. Email, text them, share it on social media. You can tag me at Siri Baruch Thornton. And I look forward to you reposting your tag. Have a beautiful rest of your day and remember you are enough just as you are. I am everything I want to be. I am living out my destiny. I am, I am, I am the embodied woman. We took everything we know. We turned ashes into gold Feed ourselves from everything That kept us from being